Good day, and welcome back to the Authentic ID podcast series, where we educate, inform, and discuss all things around identity verification and fraud detection. Authentic ID is a pioneer in the identity proofing and fraud prevention space. Driven by patented AI and machine learning technology, our solution delivers 99% accuracy in counterfeit ID detection and biometric verification. Leading financial services firms, telecom companies, credit bureaus, and businesses worldwide have adopted Authentic ID's solution to mitigate fraud without sacrificing user experience. On our podcast, our team of experts and special guests will bring you the latest on identity technology and fraud trends to help businesses and individuals manage identity simply and safely. In today's episode, we'll be presenting some highlights from our most recent webinar on human trafficking. Fraudsters and organized crime organizations are often drivers of human trafficking, stripping their victims of their identity in the process. Identity proofing and fraud protection technology can play a key role in fighting this crisis. And now, here are some highlights from our recent webinar. I'm your host, Sarah Hunter Lipskowski, and I'm excited to welcome you to what will be a really thoughtful and critical discussion on the topic of human trafficking. Human trafficking is a global industry that enslaves people and preys upon children, and today it's growing faster than any other form of organized crime across communities everywhere. Technology plays this incredible role in not only accelerating the crisis, but also solving it. And today I'm here with three guests with unique and valuable perspectives on both human trafficking and how it impacts groups, including Gen Z. Christine Champion is Authentic ID's Vice President of Marketing. Kaizen Bickel is an activist and the recipient of the 2021 Child USA Voice of the Voiceless Award and the recipient of the 2022 Champion for Social Justice and Human Rights Award from the University of Toledo. And Eric Bauer is a Tacoma-based attorney whose work representing survivors of sex trafficking and sexual abuse has earned him international recognition. So thank you all for joining us today. And to get started, I'd just love to ask um, each of you just to tell us a little bit more about your background and why this topic is so important. So Kai, if you'd like to get started. Sure. Um, I grew up in a, two different sets of environments, one with my mother, very wholesome values. And then I had a father who was a business tycoon, very flamboyant person, had created a net worth for the family over a billion dollars. And I had a role within the company. It was a bit of a long distance relationship with him. And in 2019, I saw something that I thought was highly inappropriate. I said something about it, um, felt kind of the wrath of what it's like to be a whistleblower. And then um, seven short months later, there was a lawsuit that was filed against him. And that began the process of discovering really what turned out to be 55 years of bad behavior and him essentially skirting the system by taking advantage of legal loopholes to keep his bad behavior silent. Ultimately, there were 13 um, individuals that were listed as enablers or people that knew or should have known, but I felt after going through the process and 10 months of not knowing if he was going to flee the country or not, once this was all coming out, I felt like the greatest enablers for him were the legal system, um, there were especially two or three loopholes in particular he took advantage of. So since all this has happened, I've dedicated a lot of my time and energy to working on fixing those loopholes. 
so that this kind of thing doesn't continue to happen and then spending a, a tremendous amount of time working with other organizations nonprofits and leaders that care about um, ending this terrible type of behavior uh, these, these individuals and make the world a better place so I've just been here the last especially the last two years really focused on that once we got through our whole family crisis and I'm happy to be here and happy to help if I can so thanks thank you Eric hi I'm Eric Bauer and I'm a lawyer uh, down here in Tacoma Washington is where my office is been an attorney for 38 years. We started out doing murder cases, actually. My first jury trial was a death penalty uh, murder trial. I, I managed to keep that guy off death row as well as five others. My first half of my uh, career was serious felony defense at the federal level, state level, whatever. And that, that's what we did. And I joke and I, I say, well, for the last 10 years, I've been making amends for the first 25 years of my practice. It's kind of a joke. But in 2011, I had a mother come into my office and her child had been advertised on a website known as Backpage.com. You know, a ninth grade girl, five, six photos of her in thong underwear, different provocative positions. And, you know, and I met two other mothers whose seventh grade children were also uh, advertised on that website. We're talking about American citizens, you know. And so I filed a lawsuit uh, against Backpage.com and uh, we proceeded to fight for over six years before anything really happened. It was quite an uphill battle. Backpage at that time was the world's largest entity involved in sex trafficking and child sex trafficking. I mean, the average age of entry for uh, a victim of sex trafficking somewhere between 12 and 15. That's according to the Department of Justice and Polaris Project both. So, you know, it's a crime against kids primarily. You know, it's just horrific what happens to them. I learned a lot in the six years that I fought Backpage, and we ended up being victorious, and, you know, we got quite a bit of recognition for that. Backpage is now shut down. I had the honor of working with the United States Senate. U.S. Attorney's Office, and we were successful in our lawsuit, and it, it all worked out. Backpage is no more at this point. Others are rising, so you know, we're still in the fight. More recently, we settled the case against Craigslist on behalf of a girl that was 12 when she was sold uh, their website. It's kind of interesting. We're looking for entities right now that are just really huge facilitators of sex trafficking and child sex trafficking. That's what I do and what I've been doing. Thank you. Nice. And then, Christine, identity fraud is a really critical piece of the human trafficking issue. So just talk to us a little bit about the how and why of authentic ID, choosing to focus on this issue and, and how it ties into what we do. Yeah, sure. So Christine Champion and I'm the vice president here at Authentic ID. And, you know, a big part of our mission at Authentic ID is to combat identity fraud. And we do that through our ID verification and our facial recognition software. But people think of, you know, fraud or identity fraud as solely a financial or a transactional loss. But, you know, there can be a darker side to that where that money is it's connected to organized crime. And that organized crime can be connected to things like drug trafficking or weapons trafficking. And then in the case that we're talking about today, you know, it can be connected to human trafficking. And, you know, it's studies show that it's a, it's a huge industry. I think it can have a net 100 $50 billion profits each year, which is astonishing and it's sad. So, you know, we want to play our part in our technology to help mitigate money getting in the hands of those wrong people, which 
will hopefully help save lives at the same time. Great. Kind of piggybacking on that, you know, mentioning technology and this real shift to a digital existence, including the use of social media. It's really given traffickers new, really dangerous opportunities to make connections, especially with younger people. And Eric, I'm curious about, you know, you've really seen firsthand how a lot of these apps, websites, social media, and just this more digital existence has led to, you know, increases in opportunities for this crime. And I'm wondering where the most likely places are for traffickers to hit their victims. You know, what are these sites and have you seen the types of sites or the types of opportunities shift in the past few years? Great question. And essentially the traffickers are just like the predators on the Serengeti. They're, they're going to find their prey at the watering hole, and that's where they're gonna be. And so wherever there's kids, that's where they go. So they, they go to Facebook, they go to Snapchat, they go Fortnite, wherever and however. They'll go to the local shopping mall or arcade, you know, in the physical world, but on the dig in the digital world, it's, it's really, anywhere uh, and there's so much opportunity for them to as you say hit their victims uh, and, and that's really what they're doing it's, it's kind of scary and it's difficult to protect it but it needs to we need to try we need to try really hard and the part that i was focused on in, in the litigation i have done is it's not so much where the traffickers meet and groom their their victims but rather where they sell them and where they get their customers. And the method of marketing prior to the internet was the tracks, the streets, where the traffickers would march their kids, make the kids march up and down the road. And customer base was limited to whoever was driving by. Well, with the advent of the internet, all of a sudden, you know, customer base is limited to whoever, whoever has a smartphone in their pocket, and that's everybody, right? And so it's, it's just expanded tremendously. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in our lawsuit against Backpage, in a brief that they, they stated that due to the internet, reports of child sex trafficking to NCMEC had increased by 1,423% in a five-year period. Just this huge increase because it was all of a sudden it was really easy to do. The customer base had expanded in an enormous way. And the traffickers were able to disguise the victims with makeup or body doubles or whatever, lots of different techniques they would use. It was really crazy. The internet and social media have played a tremendous role in this crime. And as you were indicating earlier, I mean, sex trafficking is the second largest criminal industry in the world in terms of victims, money, and human carnage. Drug trafficking, they say, is, is number one sex trafficking too. A lot of people say that should be reversed. I don't know. Whatever. It's really, really big and we need to take it seriously. I'm really glad you guys are. Right. So speaking kind of of that acceleration and this, you know, digital world and, you know, real physical world, Kai, I'm curious also about, you know, there are a variety of tactics that traffickers use in the digital world, but there's also these tra tactics that they have to use to shift them out of that into the real world. So Curious about what you've seen and, and, you know, kind of stories you've heard about how traffickers make that transition and the types of tactics they're using right now. Sure. Well, I can speak on um, our personal experience with what we encountered. What was going on was my father was essentially putting on parties and he was having 
employees go out and recruit guests for the party, but he was going to shopping malls and Facebook and other tactics. And he was essentially promoting a false narrative that the folks who came to the party were going to get a modeling contract because we were a fashion house. He would throw this party and it was disguised as the play sports, have food, have some drinks, kind of fun time on a Sunday. And if you didn't know any better and you went there and I... I went to some of these, and I'd be at the house for sometimes when these things would happen. And you don't really even understand that anything nefarious might be taking place. You know, play a little sports, have a little food. I was out of there by sunset. But that's when he's really preying on these folks. And later it came out that they, he would target people if they didn't um, go by what he wanted, then he was drugging them is the accusation. And uh, it's hard for people to know what's happening at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. at someone's house. And then the other tactic was, if you say something about this, then I'm going to sue you for defamation. So you have all these people who don't want to speak up. And it wasn't until later that we actually found out that this was the pattern and this is what he was doing. And so that's an example of just essentially going from Facebook messages to seeing somebody at a shopping mall to all of a sudden they're at the property to now all of a sudden maybe they've been given a drink, whatever it might be. And you can see these tactics and ultimately the result. And people also get a little confused too because like in his case, he was bringing folks to the Bahamas and let's say they were a USA person. Well, once you step out of the USA jurisdiction, you're in the Bahamas. Now you're under a whole another set. They want the USA essentially wants you to work with the Bahamian police if something goes on. But he had the Bahamian police in his pocket. There's there's so like that wasn't going to work. So I guess I'm just saying this because people should be aware that when they're out of the country or if something seems like it might be a little bit too good to be true. Or you have to think about folks' motives. I think education is a huge part of this because they certainly crave on folks who are innocent and sort of trying to make something of themselves in the world. So they offer a party or an opportunity, but there really wasn't one. So um, that's an example of, I think, the real world uh, meshing into the world and something I can draw on from experience. Right. Yeah. And that's a really terrifying trajectory, you know, because it can start with some very simple digital tactics and, and snowball really quickly before someone might know what's going on. So, yes, this idea of education, too, is huge. And, and Christine, I'm also curious about, you know, in those early stages with technology, you know, it's given an opening to the traffickers, but it can also offer some solutions. So what are some of the ways in which technology can help? keep kids safe, help parents keep kids safe, whatever the case may be, and, and help stop trafficking in maybe that different phase. So earlier this year, I had read a story. It was really eye-opening, and it shed light on how our technology can play a crucial role or any type of ID verification technology. And it was a story of a 15-year-old girl, and she was actually trafficked from a Dallas, Dallas Mavericks basketball game. She was there with her parents. She went to the bathroom and she never returned. And what happened was a ring of traffickers had gotten to the venue with fake tickets to game. Um, they somehow got her to leave the venue. They took her across state lines. One of the sex traffickers was a registered sex offender. He used a fake name, he used a fake ID, and he checked into multiple hotel rooms. 
Um, luckily, the girl was found, I think, a few weeks later and found on one of these sites, like Eric was refer referencing, the facial recognition software actually found her um, being solicited for sex, obviously against her will. Um, so, you know, looking at that story, when I was reading it, there's so many unintentional missteps among the way that had people been armed with the right tools, the right protocol, the story probably maybe could have never even happened or it could have been cut short. Um, whether it was, you know, having some type of system in place to check for fake tickets, getting into the venue or a fake ID, a system in place to seeing if that was truly a fake ID and not even letting them into the hotel in the first place. Um, you know, another, again, we were talking about before, another thing to point out is if these people aren't taken on the streets or in public, they're being groomed on these social media or dating sites. So it's, you know, just as much important to have some type of system in place to, to basically trust and know who you're talking to and it's not some kind of fake facade behind a computer screen and you know, especially with a lot of our youth using these you know social media sites. Absolutely and so I think that hits on a couple key issues of really you know education and, and visibility you know I think those are just critical against that fight whether we're talking about you know kids protecting themselves parents you know in businesses just kind of covering that aspect and you know Eric you've led that long really critical fight against traffickers you know in, in the legal system and You've been an advocate for victims and tell us about how giving victims a voice has really helped shed light on this issue. Oh, it's I mean, it's just helped. You know, when I started representing these kids back in 2011, the justice system would treat a girl, a 15 year old girl who's been raped a thousand times by locking her up in jail. We just send her out to juvie jail. And we would throw her behind bars and we would brand her forehead with a big P for prostitute. And we would call her a hoe. And she would have no option but to turn back to that life because how can you get a job with that on your forehead, right? So literally all across the United States, that's what we did. That's how the justice system was so enlightened in recent times. This is still going on in different places. And uh, the justice system as a whole, it's not really super well equipped to handle the traumatized children that get trafficked. I mean, a kid gets raped once, she gets post-traumatic stress disorder, you get raped a thousand times, do you know what you have? You have things the shrinks don't even have words for. I mean, you've changed your very existence. I had one father tell me her soul has changed. She has changed her soul. And, you know, he was just heartbroken. You know, it's all about trauma, trauma bonding. It's all about violence and drugs and manipulation. There's two kind of pimps out there, Romeo pimps and gorilla pimps. All the Romeos turn into gorillas later on. In the world of sex trafficking that I've been accustomed to, that's that's the way it is. It's it's you know, these kids are being forced to have sex with upwards of 20 people a day. I mean, you think about that, 20 people a day. You know, they're in seventh grade, and and you have these drunken people coming in just doing whatever they want with the seventh grader. The pimps don't care. The pimps get all the money, and that's the way it is. And and we had the audacity to call these kids criminals. You know, it's horrible. So giving them a bit of a voice, yeah, it's absolutely critical. And one of the things I've really talked about a lot and tried to do is how about swing the needle over to call them victims or all the way over here where you can call them American citizens with civil rights that can be enforced in a court of law against 
whoever's facilitating these these crimes and, and the damage to them because the damage is just god awful. The average life expectancy in that world for a victim is seven years. And then they, they die. And the death certificate won't say died of sex trafficking, it'll say died of, you know, fentanyl overdose, died of blunt head trauma, ligature, strangulation, whatever, you know, a lot of terms they use, but you know, that's the reality of it. And it's a lot of people, it's a lot of kids. And it's awful. Too much of our population as a whole has regarded these kids as having fun, sexy time or easy money or something like that. They don't understand that there's always a pimp behind them, always a trafficker, always some, you know, like 30 year old guy that doesn't care at all. He just wants to get his money. And that's it. Every one of the kids I've represented have been tortured. They've been traumatized physically, mentally everything. So a voice, yeah, they need a voice big time. And they need all of us to rise up and say, yeah, this is, it's not okay. It's not okay. I mean, Backpage was just marketing hundreds of thousands of people on their website. They were grooming America to call this the new norm. And it was working. You know, our law enforcement, politicians, everybody, they worship at the altar of money. And that's all they seem to care about. But, you know, these, these kids get, get hurt badly and, and they need a voice for sure. And they, it, some change is happening. Some big changes happened in the last decade. I'm really grateful to see it, but we need to keep going. As you indicated earlier, this is a multi hundreds of billions of dollars every year. This black market of sex trade huge. The monetary pressures are huge and they do not let up. And, you know, the fight against this thing cannot let up either. This needs to keep going and going and going. We need better laws all across the book. We really do. I mean, we're hampered by poor laws, by laws that protect financial interests of corporations and individuals. And that needs to stop. Giving victims a voice is absolutely critical. And it, it's been really nice watching it happen. And, you know, people are really funny when it comes to talking about sex, they get embarrassed, they get, well, you know, they don't want to look at it. It's it's an awful subject. They don't want to talk about it, but they need to get brave and look at it and understand what these kids are going through. So Absolutely. And that's, um, it, I think that really drives home the scale and the scope of these horrors. I think there's no other way to put it. And Kai, you have been also on the front lines to just really work with a lot of organizations to bring to light a lot of the things that Eric is talking about, the ways in which people can be educated about this issue, what's actually going on, and also how they can act. And, you know, what are the most critical sources of information, of guidance um, that people can look to really to understand this issue? Well, touching on Eric's points, because he had some, some really good points there, and what you're asking right now, uh, is it comes back to the damage of this particular crime. There's a collateral damage. There is, uh, you know, I experienced that certainly from a family's point of view when your father all of a sudden is outed as a sex predator and on a grand scale, that's not a fun experience and it devastates the family. And what what's happened is, is when I have personally um, spoken to a number of his survivors and I can empathize with what Eric's saying in terms of the folks that he speaks to in his law practice. 
because the damage of this type of abuse is reoccurring. It's almost like a reoccurring injury because there's this damage to the nervous system really with the P severe PTSD of it all. And then the nightmares, and then that comes out into your personal relationships and it comes out into a num number of other areas that affect everyone. So we're all really touched by this, whether we even know it or not. And if you were to ask me a couple of years ago, what is trafficking? I would have told you, I thought it was somebody coming over in a shipping container. That's what my knowledge of it was. Now I understand force, fraud, or coercion, which are three important words for people to know, because I think that coercion is one that happens a lot. And people don't realize that, wait, I'm not supposed to be coerced into this type of act that you're trying to act, you know, say that, oh, I'm staying at your house now, I have to do what? Right. Like that's that's illegal. Um, you're asking me about the resources. Well, uh, More to Life Foundation is a really good one because what they do and I'm, I did join the board on that one. So I, I know. Well, Dr. Brooke Bellow is a leader there. Um, she has an incredible story of overcoming adversity and turning herself into someone who's a champion for others who have faced same type of abuse that she has. And um, they really focus on the rehabilitation part in terms of uh, getting your life back together, uh, healing the trauma, healing the um, injury that's there. Um, so I would say that's a great resource in terms of if people are looking for stuff that's more, and then they put to life is T-O-O, life. So if you go to moretolife.org, there's a ton of resources there on the on the website. I'd say in general, education is, is, a, is a huge component of this whole thing, because I'm not going to say the word naive is a good word to even really throw out there because it's sort of it almost puts blame on the wrong person. But it, there is a level of education that will bring you to an awareness of what's actually out there in the world, because there's a lot of well-meaning people that think that some, you know, something positive is going to come from a certain type of exchange. But if you didn't realize what force fraud or coercion was and that this type of um, problem is systemic and systematic and is a, is a huge um, issue, then, you know, your guard goes up a little bit more. And that can help with some of the prevention, certainly not all of it, because predators are smart and they, they abuse folks and they find ways to trick them. But uh, yeah, go to moretolife.org. That's a great starting point. There's a number of other organizations out there uh, that are Google search away because there's so there are a lot of great groups out there that care. You know, I've done some work with Rain, for example, as one of the larger groups. Um, and then last point, and just to uh, touch on what Eric is saying, is that in terms of activism, I think that focusing on the laws is a big deal because, from my experience, we were really once we actually saw what was going on and we're trying to help and put a stop to it, even at great personal costs, you can't get past the laws, right? And so if we can if we can adjust some of these laws so that they help survivors more, they're more towards that versus wrong folks or, or empowering those with money and that have abused others, 
you know, with little ways to get out of the system, that's that's something we got to be really mindful about and make a make a strong push to go ahead and correct that because then that will help the law enforcement and help solve this problem. Absolutely, and that's a, a good lead into my final question here. There's a lot of themes here, not just technology and education, but you know, visibility and, and momentum, and I think finally action. So first, thanks to everybody for offering you know the insight on the issue, but you know, obviously the conversation can't stop here and there are things to do, I think, for for each of us, for everybody listening and watching. And, you know, Christine, I wanted to start with you. You know, what's one actionable item people or even a business can do right now to to start to stop that that trend and, and to fight trafficking? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would have a few. Um, I would say I would underscore what Kai said. I mean, I think as everyday people, we can gain awareness, be vigilant, share your knowledge with everybody you know, your loved ones, your colleagues, everybody. And then, you know, I see trafficking is a crime that's often hidden in plain sight because victims can be walking among us in public places at the grocery store, but you know, they have fear and they tra- and trauma, so it keeps them from seeking help. So. It's not only important to know like the tactics of the traffickers themselves, but the signs of someone who's being trafficked. So I would say gain awareness around that. And you know, the businesses who are crossing paths with traffickers, I would say consider training your staff. I think there's a study or a survey that was done that said 80% of victims of traffic come in contact with um, a healthcare provider, whether it's at an urgent care facility, emergency, or women's clinic. So um, oftentimes it will go unnoticed that they were even, you know, being exploited. So again, traffic uh, training can go a long way. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, these identity verification and facial recognition software, I think they can really just kind of help stop trafficking and its tracks and hopefully prevent it from even happening. Absolutely. And Eric, how can we, you know, actively support victims, you know, and how can we actively be part of, you know, stopping some of these malicious sites and technology and preventing some of those things, you know, before they get to that real world as well? I love the idea of facial recognition uh, is is one great idea. And, and somehow you know, I'm, I'm no computer coder or anything like that, but if there was a way to just blanket the internet with that, that would be great. CDA 230 is a, an immunity statute that we battled a lot of, against. And I actually helped uh, draft an amendment to it that has helped somewhat, but there's a lot of holes in it. And, uh, you know, as Kai was saying, a lot of loopholes that, that the wealthy and corporations can kind of slide through and just kind of keep doing business as usual. I'm really concerned right now of overseas websites seem to be picking up the pace. You know, American law kind of stops at our borders, but it's the World Wide Web, right? And all you really need is a server and you can get on it and sell American kids on American soil through whatever knockoff kind of back page uh, website you want to promote. And as soon as North Korea or, or some other country decides this is a really good way to make a lot of money, it could really happen in a bad way. So we need to protect it against that. There's a lot of laws that need to be seriously adjusted. I don't know that our political system really allows it. These kids, these survivors don't have enough money to buy a politician, right? But the corporations, big tech certainly does. And and that's been a problem for sure. And I'd like a little more heart going into it. I mean, it's the future of our country, children, right? We don't sell them to get raped. You know, you just don't do that. And kind of goes without saying, right? But unfortunately, we need to say it loud and clear. And historically, 
sex trafficking is always kind of given a wink, wink, nod, nod. And here we live on a, a country that had slavery in, in its past. And that was not all about picking cotton. I mean, these slave owners were raping the slaves and then selling their own offspring because you know that's what they did, if you can believe that. Selling your own kids into slavery. Insane. When you have a foundation that is that hypocritical for life, liberty, and the pursuit of justice, you, you know, you really got to look at it and go to your roots. and Some deep cleaning as well. So what do we need to do? Everything. <laughs> you know, we need. And I, I love that you guys are doing something today that we have a good corporation caring enough. You don't have to put on this webinar. You don't have to put on this podcast, but you're doing it. Kai has undoubtedly uh, sacrificed a lot to be here today and with this message. I know you have. Incredibly admirable. I guess we just keep doing it. And and the last thing I'm going to say is these, these kids, you, you can really turn some lives around. And what I like to think about are all the kids out there right now that don't even know that they didn't get sold because Backpage is gone. And once we killed Backpage, that, that, there was a huge decrease in child sex trafficking nationwide. It was huge. But it's, it's, it's banking up again, for sure. And it's just in a multiplicity of places right now. Too much money. But let's just keep the fight going wherever we, we see an opportunity. Absolutely. And, and Kai, finally for you, you, you know, you mentioned a little bit about some of these organizations that people could go to for information because – you know, the problem is is huge and it's so multifaceted. And I can imagine for somebody who wants to get involved and to, who wants to help, it can maybe seem a, a little overwhelming. You know, the problem, it's huge. So what track should people take? What is, you know, kind of the first thing they should do if they want to offer support, if they want to be more educated and kind of be that voice? And as Eric said, to just keep, keep this moving, keep it going. Yeah, that's a good question. And to just <clears throat> circle back on what Eric was saying the question you're asking really I, I I take this attitude of do what you can where you are with what you have I happen to be in extraordinary circumstance where I was the son of a of large perpetrator who found out what was going on yes I had to make a choice and yes I chose you know support children because if you at the end of the day you can make more money. You can't. You can't buy more innocence once it's lost, right? Like, yeah, I can't have that on my conscience. So, you know, when Eric said I gave up a lot or I've lost a lot to be here, yeah, I have. Uh, it was everything that our family had essentially to take this path. Uh, but at the same time, this this cause is so important because the kids are our future. Yes, and also um, protecting women and children is something that inherently men are supposed to do you know my mom taught me to do that that's what she told me you know, ever since i was little is that's what men are supposed to do and i i find sometimes in this particular subject a lot of women step up and are doing everything they can um i think men can do more uh, and will do more as time goes on resources for people that want to get involved for me, Child USA, which was the organization, nonprofit that I worked with on the legal side of things to craft new legislation um, to adjust those loopholes, they've been a really good group to work with. A lot of these nonprofits um, have ways that you can contact them and volunteer. It could be something 
at a, your local level. A lot of them need help. Even something as simple as calling your politician to help push some legislation across the board. But I do think there needs to be more of a, a united um, effort where we can bring all of these resources together in one place. And I, I do want to mention the All for Humanity Alliance because that's another group that I've worked extensively with. And what they're doing is they're actually taking the uh, authentic ID technology and they're, uh, they've created really an app that law, they're giving it to law enforcement in Miami, the Miami Shield Project, they call it. And they're uploading all of the pictures of predators and missing persons into their database. So when a police officer, you know, has reason to want to get someone's ID verified, they can scan their face. They can quickly determine whether or not the person that they're with is a missing person person or if they're dealing with a predator and that's a helpful tool if we can continue to focus on the legislation the new technologies that are coming out the organizations that are doing a good job of bringing together those uh, technologies like all for humanity alliance is a good one then we can start to make that traction and even eric what you said was pretty profound because you, you're talking about how you basically you took that bad company off the internet and you actually did see a big reduction and and that's a great lead right there you know so so figuring out what organizations it's just one step at a time do what you can where you are with what you have if it's just educating a friend that's helpful and you don't have to necessarily change the whole law these are difficult projects um, on their own but there certainly are ways to identify what's going on out there. What are the good organizations that you want to work with? And then just roll up your sleeves and see if you can uh, get involved somehow, even if it's just volunteering a little bit. Everything helps. Don't miss our next episode. The Authentic ID podcast series is available on our website, as well as your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social for alerts and updates as new episodes go live. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to welcoming you back for our next episode.